we're recording. Hello, how are you, Rebecca? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Just another week in quarantine, uh, staring at my black computer triangle, triangle, rectangle, and uh, wishing for death. Yeah. So the usual over here. Right. I've been out in the world with all the infected people. That's so sad and gross. I hate them all. Do they tip well, at least? Um, no, I know sometimes. they don't. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one's doing, like, there's all those um, really hopeful Instagram posts that are like, if you're going out right now, you should be tipping 35%. And like, yeah, that's nice, but everyone is still like, 20 is the standard, right? Cool. Bye. If so. it's me, I would say 20 is like... The minimum I would tip if someone is a really good server. And especially now in, uh, you know, pandemic when they're like... In these dark times. They're risking their health to give you French onion soup. Like, just give them a few more dollars, you know? Yeah, no. It's... You know who's the worst culprit? Platinum American Express cards. The heavy ones that throw your whole elbow out? Rat bastards, yeah. (laughs) Eat the rich, everybody. Welcome to the Spooky Succubus cast. I'm Abby. (laughs) I'm Rebecca. And today we're talking about Wes Craven's 1991 movie, The People Under the Stairs. And I think this is one of Wes Craven's kind of like sleepers. People that are true Cravenites kind of think it wasn't scary enough, but I think it is terrifying. I I loved every wild second of it. It was like all the best parts of Wes Craven of like him poking fun at the genre and still like making weird jokes and like strange acting choices and camera angles. It was great. It was like the ultimate campy Craven classic. The Love. ultimate CCC. So if you haven't seen this movie, um, we're going to give a plot rundown, but I would totally recommend watching it because it's really fun, but also socially conscious. So good on you, Wes Craven. May you rest in power. Uh, And you get to look at Ving Rhames being super hot and super enraged. Super hot. I forget. I was like, oh, Ving Rhames. So hot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, hello. Hello, Yes. All right, so, oh, and we would also like to say that you can rent this on Amazon Prime. We don't recommend using Amazon Prime literally for anything except renting movies to watch for this podcast. Jeff Just Bezos is a this. monster. Yeah, Jeff Bezos sucks. Fuck him. Um, but we did it. Like, I can't say, like, don't rent it on Amazon Prime because I literally did it, so... Yeah, but I feel like, you know, for stuff like, oh, I need a socket wrench, like, just maybe go support your local hardware store instead of the instant gratification of, like, late capitalism. Even if it's here, unfortunately, like, small businesses do exist, but it's more like this Ace Hardware franchise run by a guy named Steve, you know? Please Steve still go support money. Steve. Yeah, yeah, he's a family to feed, for sure. <laughs> So the people under the stairs starts with a tarot card reading for a young boy that's nicknamed Fool. We hear a voiceover while the cards are getting laid out. Uh, He, his mother, who has cancer, his sister, and her babies all live in a rundown apartment in what I think we can assume is Los Angeles, although there aren't any specific uh, markers that indicate that it is L.A., 
Uh, so Fool learns that if his mom and him and Ruby don't come up with, um, sorry, I don't know how to read you guys. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. <me> <laughs> Fool learns that his family will be evicted if they don't come up with three times the amount of rent due by midnight the next day. So I would just like to pause here and note that this is a factual inaccuracy. And if you get an eviction notice, don't self-evict. Only a judge can evict you. And it usually takes at least 30 days. So I know eviction moratoriums. I'm in Massachusetts and here the eviction moratorium is expiring and people are getting eviction notices. But only a judge can evict you. Don't Take your own tush out of your house. Stay there. Squatter's rights. Exactly. So uh, his sister's friend Leroy wants to rob the house of their crooked landlord who's about to evict the family. And he says he can use Fool on the job. Ruby protests, but Fool wants to do it. So he, Leroy, and another accomplice, Spencer, go to the house to scope it out. Spencer gets access to the house, uh, but he doesn't come out or signal the others. Spencer, we should know, is white, and Fool has already tried to access the house uh, by, um, what's the word? Rebecca. What? As a Boy Scout? He, like, pretends. Yeah. Okay. He dresses up as a Boy (laughs) Scout. He dresses up as a Boy Scout. (laughs) So he, and the woman won't let him inside and tells him to, um to go and there's a little bit of fat phobia as well because she says we watch what we eat very carefully around here oh yeah and i was like cookies. bitch take your diet culture and shove it up your tushy everybody loves cookies that's Get a number two count of me dropping the word tushy by the way in this podcast i'll try to rein it in. i hate that word i know I'm like, every time it. i say it i'm like Leesh. <laughs> so spencer gets inside uh leroy sees that Spencer doesn't come back out and he thinks that Spencer is trying to take his cut of the coin collection so he takes Fool and goes into the house to find Spencer. Inside the house there's a ton of steel doors, locks, hidden rooms, vents, it's fishy. Uh, The house is a former um, funeral home so they have big rooms that are used for body preparation and stuff like that. Leroy goes upstairs Fool goes to the basement, and in the basement, he finds Spencer's dead body, and Spencer is ghostly white, and his hair has gone white, apparently from fear. And Is that what we're led to believe? I was like, are they blowing I was like, is it just it? really, like, like, dusty down there? Yeah, okay, I thought it was, like, dust. I'm like, I think Fool they... says later, oh, he looks like he was scared to death. Yeah, later on. So down in the basement, there are people with ghost white flesh who can't speak. They're not vocal. They just kind of grunt. Uh, the woman and man of the house come home, who will heretofore be affectionately referred to as Daddy and Mommy. Mm. Mommy and Daddy, gross. Because they're pervs. We're pervs. It's just a perv fest over here. <laughs> Uh, They realize they're intruders, so they go hunting for them with a shocking amount of automatic weapons, like more than anyone should have access to. Uh, They shoot and kill Leroy, but Fool is saved by a young girl. She tells him that no one, including herself, has ever escaped the house, and Fool realizes she has never been outside before. Uh, Daddy has been looking for the perfect boy to match uh, Alice's girl child identity but they've all turned out quote unquote bad and they were forced into the cellar and had the bad parts cut out of them right uh, yeah so that's there's a through line through this movie of see no evil see no evil hear no evil speak no evil 
And uh, so I'm assuming he does. Eye, he cuts out eyes, tongues, and ears. That's. But I don't see anybody with. They do all have black eye, like blacked out eyes. But I, I don't know. Maybe he blinded them with some sort of cremation procedure from the funeral. I don't know. But they don't have like no eyeballs. No. Right. So. And. Um, you, at the end of the movie, when they all like emerge, they can all presumably walk. see and walk. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, where were we, sister? We just gave Ooh. it away. We gave the ending away. Spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, so. so there's one person under the stairs, Roach, who has escaped into the walls, and Daddy hates Roach because he can't find him to shoot him. So the 5-0 shows up. They're uh, predictably useless because Leroy's van is parked in the driveway and was used in a liquor store robbery the night before. So uh, Mommy and Daddy put on a good show. Nothing seems to be amiss. They note that the neighborhood is changing, which is presumably like a reference to black folks moving into their space. And uh, they share a moment of just casual white supremacy before Daddy and Mommy go back in. And house. while they're out there, they realize that Fool, the little boy scout who came earlier, is also in the house. Oh, yeah. They find, they the find his little bear scout uniform. Exactly. All right. So where are I like can't I like can't read. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, so they go back in the house. Oh, yeah. So and... Fool is running away from daddy and Roach saves him who takes it and takes him to Alice's room where they have a little moment uh, just understanding the more of the context of daddy and mommy's levels of insanity uh and then fool watches i'm sorry you guys please forgive me okay it's okay we'll cut we'll cut this out <laughs> cut it out <laughs> fix it in post oh okay so fool's in the house there in alice's room daddy busts in and finds them he shoots roach and then throws fool in the basement not before a fool gets a really nice like dick punch in on daddy though dick so punch dick punch <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Fool sees that Leroy's body is down in the basement. He watches Daddy cut him open and just kind of like casually snack on him and then feed Leroy's flesh to the people under the stairs. He locks Fool in with them, hoping that the people under the stairs will kill Fool. Uh, and then Roach, you know, jumps in to save him. Uh, but they die shortly after. Before uh, they die, only Roach dies. Just okay? Roach dies. Who is our hero, and he's not. He's never our gonna die. He's never gonna die. Uh, so before Roach passes away, he tells um, Fool to go save Alice and tells him how to get to her room through the walls. So Fool and gets gives him coins and gives him coins. Mm-hmm. Fool secured the bag, which is <laughs> I, something I learned on TikTok. <laughs> and from Megan the Stallion. Fool gets to Alice's room and they make it to the attic where Fool jumps into the pond in the garden and escapes. He brings the coins he got from Roach to Grandpa Booker, who seems to be like a neighborhood figure that is like trusted and beloved. He tells uh, Fool that mommy and daddy are brother and sister, which like you, because like incest is only sexy when it's Jamie and Cersei. Okay, you guys. I disagree with that. <laughs> Wholeheartedly disagree, but okay. We'll talk <laughs> we'll, later. We'll discuss Scott later. 
the family used to run a funeral home. They started buying up property and just got greedier and more insane through each generation. Fool realizes that no one is going to save the captives in the house if he doesn't. So he calls the cops on mommy and daddy and then sneaks in while they're checking out the house. Fool is saved from daddy by the people under the stairs. They show him where all the money is hidden. And then Alice upstairs battles her mother and Ruby and the neighborhood folks come in to also assist. So mommy locks Ruby and the neighborhood out, but the people under the stairs attack her and kill her. A fool blows up daddy with his own explosives and like a very tricky candle move. What it, I, was I was like, like I literally whoa. never would have thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> so he like sticks coins into the candles that are burning down to create a diversion because when the candle melts down, the coins clatter. And I was like, fool, you're so much smarter than me. You're Ugh. a genius. Yeah. He's a genius. So once fool blows daddy up with the explosives, Money from the vault goes everywhere. The people under the stairs are set free and the money is returned. Reparations are returned to the community. And I was like, the end of the movie makes me like fist bump. I'm like, yes. I'm like, yeah. So the money good. is raining from the sky. Exactly. Like, it's so good. It's so good. The end of this movie is so gratifying. And normally I have like anxiety about I think I've mentioned this before. I have anxiety about the kind of paperwork that the end of horror movies produces. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. a bunch of people are dead. You know, you have to explain that a ghost did it, and you narrowly survived. <laughs> like, it's a bad situation. But this time, I was like, fuck the police. They did nothing. And you know what? I don't even care that these mute men that have never been in society normally are just running through the streets of L.A. because they look happy, and they'll figure it out. Who I was knows like, where they are? Bros, pit, grab some fistfuls of cash at I least. Know, they don't know. Like you gotta <laughs> yeah. protect yourself. Uh, there's, uh, where are they now? Where are the people of, under? I want to believe that Fool and Grandfather Booker and Ruby were like a come support system for them, and yeah, yeah, like come into our community. So, so this movie was made in the early '90s during the first Gulf War. Early in the movie, we do see some images of bombs over Baghdad, and that is supposedly a reference to first couple Ronald and Nancy Reagan. You may have heard of them. Uh, And apparently, I read this somewhere that they called each other Ronnie and Mommy. I do. I do. Was not alive then, but I do, like, remember references to, she was, like, Mommy of the nation. It was, like, a thing. That's so nasty. It's similar to who we got, you know, what are the Pences doing right now? We don't even need to talk about the Pences. (gasps) Let's bleep it out. Bleep. (laughs) So um, one article I read by someone whose name I forgot, and I'm really sorry, but it was written several years ago, and we only have like four listeners, so I don't think it matters if I'm crediting it. Don't come Um, for us. Don't come for me. So they say... Reagan is obviously a war criminal. He was guilty of these acts of violence against abstract targets from above. So nameless, faceless, you know, identityless villains. Uh, and mommy and daddy sort of are a like mirror image of their fundamentalism is justifying indiscriminate punishment and demonization of innocent people. Mm-hmm. And then another place I read mommy and daddy 
were perceived as a parody of mid-century conservatism, but I feel like this is not a parody. This is like this straight up a reality that yeah. produces that late capitalism produces. Yeah, <laughs> of like money hoarding and fear of the other and like agoraphobia of specific communities. Your yeah. own. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, I also learned that the Craftsman, which is in West Adams, L.A., uh, in 1945, there was a court case because the white population of the neighborhood tried to prevent people of color from moving in with arbitrary, racially restrictive property ownership restrictions. I so mean, there's like this is a... Go ahead. It doesn't matter what I, I have to say. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> no, so it was interesting that that specific house where they shot had, I mean, every place in the entire nation has this kind of, like, redlining and gentrification history and white flight, all of those things. But it was interesting to me that Craven chose a specific landmark where something had, you know, te- like, tactily, tact, tact, tass, tass. Adam, what cut it down in post. <laughs> Adam, you've got and a lot of work to do this episode. <laughs> oh my God, Rebecca, that's so shady. I'm just kidding. I'm just so excited about this movie, I can barely speak. We're doing fine. But yeah, this this house is a like very specific marker and signifier of somewhere where this actually happened with specificity. So I think that was meaningful. That is interesting. But yeah, the only, what I was what I was going to say is that like that happened everywhere in the US and is currently still happening. Like not, you know, not giving loans to black indigenous people of color and redlining and gentrification. But this movie feels like it could have been made today, today. about the state yeah. of our nation right now. Yeah. The conservatism sure. we're still living in. Well, because Trump is not like our reaction to conservatism, conservatism and the status quo, he is the culmination of it. So yeah. it's when people say like, oh, you know, this isn't what the party looks like or whatever. This is what the party looks like. This is what, you know, two party system Democrats and Republicans look like because wealth hoarding and a like very specific adherence to a status quo that eliminates people of color from seats at the table is exactly what this country has always been founded on and stood for. I mean, it didn't start in 2016. It's not a, this election isn't going to fix everything. Yeah, white liberals. Nothing new is happening. This is systemic (laughs) oppression. I'm sorry Um, you don't like Orange Man, but Orange Man is not completely the problem. Yeah. So, are you a Twin Peaks fan, Rebecca? I surprisingly am not. I feel like it's something that I would really enjoy, but I've never taken that leap. Sometimes when I think I'm really going to like something, I don't do it because I get scared that I won't like it and then I'll never have that opportunity. That's the reason I've never watched Breaking Bad. I'm just like, the more people that tell me to watch it, the more I'm like, go fuck yourself. I never will. So it Everett is good... McGill and Wendy Roby, who are women and man, daddy and mommy, are also a married couple in Twin Peaks, played to just like deranged perfection as well. And, they were great. Um, they those eyebrows so on mommy good. were 
wild. I so loved him. In Twin Peaks, she has an eye patch, so it's really, <gasps> really funny. <laughs> wow. She's great. Uh, yeah, they were perfect. They were so scary. It was wild. He just, like, every time he got, like, hit or was lo- he just, like, the moan yelling. The every time. I got him, I got him, I got him. Like, that was my favorite. So oh, had you ever cool. seen this movie before? Or is this the first time you watched it? I I have I I remember parts of it but not I don't I didn't really remember what happened or like the scenario but I remember like yeah. fool I remember him and I remember like them going like running up and down stairs and stuff but a lot of stairs um I, I was like say, a child I was also a child I don't remember the gimp suit and when Everett mm-hmm. McGill just busts out of like a doorway head to toe leather I was like whoa back it up I need a yeah break. I was like where the fuck was I like is this context to something else where was I supposed to know this is happening yeah so I thought it was actually a very like damaging demonization of a BDSM community, which is, you know, presumably, forgive me, listeners, I don't really know much about the BDSM community, but I feel like there are a lot of, like, relationships and, like, dom-sub situations that really flourish on consent, and I feel like the conflation of just, like, sex and violence and BDSM was really irresponsible. Yeah, it's, I mean... What happens between consenting adults is, like, you you know, good on you if that's what you want to do. And I feel like every, it's, like, this weird, especially with the whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing, is, like, this romanticizing of, like, actual violence and then, like, is completely separate from, like, a BDSM community. It's, like, this guy's an asshole. Why we got to put him in a gimp costume? Like, that's something yeah. totally different. And... I- I feel like the gimp suit was just a hat on a hat. I was like, he is a psychotic, <laughs> fundamentalist, Christian, like, nutcase who is violently trying to just, like, stab anything and anyone before just, like, slamming them down with an automatic weapon. Like, I don't give a shit if he's wearing his little, like, sweater vest or he's wearing the gimp suit. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> yeah, it just felt like its only function was to make him... In other, like, oh, he's not just a white guy. He's a white guy who's into BDSM, so he's he's so crazy. he's super super scary. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So I also think the way that Craven categorized and characterized the sort of like slum and ghetto was just also a hat on a hat. I was like, dude, like. Why are these dogs gnawing at this carcass yeah. in the middle what did of they the, find? the hallway? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what did they find? And I understand uh, does Wes it was Craven to hate be, dogs. I guess I, you know what, guys. I think we talked about this uh, in Candyman as well. But justice for Rottweilers—they are not <sighs> bad dogs. It's so mean that they keep doing this to Rottweilers in scary so, movies. Like Prince, this like this L- Rottweiler was abused this whole movie and I truly felt for him justice for Prince I I don't I feel so bad and then he just dies he gets stabbed to death yeah and that scene where his head like lolls out of the wall (gasps) 
so sad. I was like, I, I can't deal with this. Dogs are not inherently bad. The people who abuse them are the bad are ones. Are bad, so. yeah. But um, it's like a smack house that Fool and his family live in. There are like a ton of junkies. And I was like, I think these junkies are... Think I actually was like kind of impressed with Craven because most of the junkies in the foyer there were white, we're so white, it doesn't yeah. feel like a, a racial, um, like line being drawn. But it does feel like still like the criminalization of people that are drug users that can't have access to the healthcare and um, you know programs that they need to get better. So I don't Who know. Are presumably squatting in this apartment. Which is good for them. Squat away. Because the only, the Leroy says at the beginning of the movie, the only people left in this building who are paying rent are Fool and his family. So they're essentially like keeping everyone, keeping this, you know, community, these people who are using this building, they're keeping them there because they can't break it down and put in an office park because they're still there. So Fool... He's really doing the work. You know what? I just was like, this movie's not perfect. It's obviously problematic. There are issues there, (laughs) of course. But the fact that the, like, whole movie is propelled forward by a family of color trying to, like, get what belongs to them and reclaim their space and reclaim their neighborhood was pretty progressive for 1991 and even if this movie came out today i would still say like yeah that's a pretty progressive horror flick considering that uh this country is still openly white supremacist in every possible way it's how rare just like to have a black boy protagonist and like a black boy that had he contains the multitudes of okay like, my family is not being taken care of by the state or the government. I understand that Alice being left behind in that house, no one will save her because I know that the cops don't take, you know, phone calls about that house seriously. I understand that I am the person that has to take care of this because no one else is serving the communities of color and no one else is standing up to this wealth hoarding couple that wields a lot of power on many different Los Angeles neighborhoods. I can talk he, so much better now that I'm not reading the plot summary, by the way. Uh, you're doing, you're brilliant. You're so I smart. talk good so again, eloquent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my friend, shout out to my friend Maya, who's a listener of the cast. She was praising your eloquence the other day. Maya followed me on Instagram. And she told me. I was like, Whoa. And then also shout out to <laughs> Creep Cafe Pod, who have oh, been yeah. like super precious and DM'd us really nice things and have plugged our podcast. It's just nice to hear from people that they like what we're doing. And that we like, can have a beautiful community of people who like enjoy horror movies and hate racism, you know? Yeah. And it's funny when Rebecca and I realized that people might like us and we might actually talk to people that we like. It was like, Whoa. <laughs> wow. Because I don't like run across a lot of people on a day to day basis that I particularly want to like cozy Hang up to. Yeah. Yeah. And Creep Cafe has like a fun, hilarious podcast. So, like, whoever's listening to us, the 10 people, go listen to them too. 
Yeah, and they'll definitely be on the air for way longer than us because they're like 15 years younger than us. We are old hacks. (laughs) (laughs) Old hacks. (laughs) I don't take care of myself, so. No, I did at least quit smoking. But then when I quit smoking, it was like, you want extra 30 pounds now? And I was like, sure. (laughs) Sure, why not? (laughs) I'll take it. Um, so another thing I want to talk about is, uh, lately I've been really into Caitlin Doty, who's a mortician and I, she hosts, I think a podcast called ask a mortician and she founded this thing called the order of the good death, which is basically destigmatizing and rethinking how we approach the death industry in the United States. Uh, so the fact that the, um, Basically, the entire movie was filmed in this, like, creepy, scary uh, funeral home was, I thought, a little bit unproductive because it's sort of, like, demonizing and othering how we perceive the death industry. So I feel like America has done death, like, so wrong. uh, And we're so scared of death. And there's so much, like, stuff around the death industry that is, like, weird and instead of like the body staying with the family you send it off to somebody who just like shoots it full of chemicals and makes it look like um you know a like wax figure so i thought the setting in the funeral uh home and like seeing the crematorium and all the other spaces where they were doing the embalming and stuff and like setting those up as scary was kind of two steps backward in that narrative that the death industry has in the United States. And um, I, if you don't know Caitlin Doty, I would encourage you to check her work out. She completely upended my perception of what the death industry in the United States looks like and just how much of it we're scared of that we shouldn't be scared of, you know? Right. It's just also a weird, uh, I don't, yeah, they ran a funeral home. And so they must be a Scary. family of kooks, yeah, and are that are eventually going to snatch babies and and keep them in their basement and cut out their tongues and feed them human flesh. They must be dining on our our flesh if they're if they run a funeral home. And yeah, I, I don't know. I was never. I've only been to one funeral, and it's. Uh, just sad. I wasn't scared. I don't. I am afraid of other people's deaths, not my own. I want to be a tree. I don't give a shit. So. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would be sad about dying is that people would miss me. Like, not that They'll many people, but some people. Yeah. You get <laughs> over it. You'll find other podcasting partners slash <laughs> horror friends slash friends, regular friends, friends too. Yeah, just. Re- plain old friend (laughs) no one quite like me i'm sure but no i like you shouldn't be scared of death it's just a thing that happens it happens more frequently in this country at a young age because of um the two-party system and the refusal to socialize medicine so (laughs) if you are gonna die of a curable disease i guess the united states is the place to do it i also like how much of this these problems could be fixed by you know communism and socialism is like the mother could have gotten care for cancer mm-hmm. these people they would wouldn't have a place to live evicting yeah being evicted from their homes like the people of the community would have money they would the people who are suffering from drug addiction would have resources mommy to and daddy wouldn't have the like extraordinarily huge resources to just be enacting their insane sick desires because they would be mandated and have more accountability. Yeah. So 
I mean, once again, fuck capitalism. Disgusting. But. Capitalism is bullshit. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> so, oh, no. of course, my favorite subject, as y'all know, mutual aid. At the end, we see the community come together um, to protect Fool and protect Alice. We see that the cops are not taking it seriously. In fact, the vehicle for enacting mutual aid is the police. So they call the police knowing they won't do anything, but at least the door will get left open. Yeah. Which is like a fool, again, is a genius. It's insane. I hope how he smart went he is. to school to be a doctor like he wanted. Like he wanted. Yeah. We need more black doctors. We also Maybe. need more doctors that listen to women and uh, non-binary folks and anyone that has historically been marginalized. I, if you're I mean, a fat woman trying to go to a new doctor, just know that oh I see you. God. <laughs> it's horrible. God. Yeah. I've, yeah, it's happened to us all as like doctors are trash and they don't listen to No, they don't. Women, fat women, women of color, black women. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. One time I That's had why. a gynecologist that was a man tell me I didn't have a UTI. And I was like, I do have a UTI. He was like, well, the quick lab test says you don't. And I was like, <laughs> I do. <laughs> so I went <laughs> home. And two weeks later, I got a call from the doctor's office that was like, we sent the, uh, you know, your swab out. And you do have a UTI. I was like, that is so crazy. Who could have predicted surprise. that? Yeah. <laughs> Just me in your office telling you that I telling have Telling me, yeah. Like, and you know, if you're a woman or a person that has a vagina and you have a UTI, you, you know, you know, you know. You know <laughs> before you there. even know. Like, it's it's happening, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Fool does not listen to the one woman in his life, Ruby. But Ruby does what she wants anyway, you know? She goes there to rescue her brother and succeeds. And well, rescuing say, the community. Yeah, she says, like, okay, don't go back. Like, don't fuck with those people. But then presumably he's like, no, I have to. And then my assumption is that Ruby, Grandfather Booker, and Fool sat down and concocted this plan together. So hmm. it's not just Fool going by himself. They have protections in place. And he has support from the community because he said, no, this is important. Like, there's a child in there that needs our help. And then they came together with everybody from the neighborhood that had been wronged by these people. And they said, like, no, we're not going to stand for this. The police aren't doing anything. So they, I, my perception was that they created this plan together to get access to the house and provide the distraction at the front door. All right. I like that better than just fool bursting in alone as a yeah, fool. Grandfather Booker and Ruby and all of the rest of the community members were central to the plan because if it mm-hmm. happened in a vacuum and it's just fool going in there, then he disappears. But if everybody right. knows where he is and they're outside ready to protect him and support him, mutual aid. Mutual aid. Yeah. And the, this the 5-0 movie isn't didn't perfect, do shit. Yeah. Fuck the police. I, yeah, the movie's not perfect, but I do, I do love it. I'm, I'm rooting for everyone. I love the protagonists. They're like, I love the characterization. Really well acted, but yeah, I mean, by like in a goofy, fun way. Perfection. Also, there was there was one scene in the kitchen when Alice was literally stabbing mommy and there was like a mug on the mug rack that was like the classic 90s yellow smiley face. Did you see that? (laughs) I was like, what a delight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love that Alice 
I mean, we can talk a little bit about Alice, played by A.J. Langer. From my so-called life, Rayanna, my so-called life, everyone love. who is our age or older will know that. Or, or older. <laughs> or older. Um, yeah. <laughs> nobody younger, younger has seen the one season of my so-called life that we all rewatched. The on. one perfect season of television, honestly. It was great. It was so good. Um, so sad. So ahead of its time. So horny. Very horny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Catalano. Oh, wow. That's the one start. time I've ever liked Jared Leto. And it's never happened since. But That's like, that actually growing up was really my only touchstone for Jared Leto at all. Like, I don't even know what else he was really famous for. Because that was the thing. Requiem you know? for a Dream. That was like my, those were the two. I can't watch that movie. It's, it's too sad. sad. Yeah. It's very sad. Like, there are probably some movies that we should cover that I will just be like, cannot, too sad. You know what? I I can't. We will never do The Fly. Because it's too sad. I'm afraid of flies. Also, I, it's gross. Like, it's pretty disgusting. Gross I, beyond. I, mean, like, I like a little bit of gore, but it's I can't deal with people's nails popping off. I just can't. I can't. Oh, yeah. Nails and teeth. That's mm-hmm. Abby's thing. I can't. Houseflies? A common housefly. That's my thing. I'll never, I won't go near it. The scene where all the flies are dead on the windowsill, I was like, bah! I like, I like jumped back from my computer. Like I was like, covering my mouth. I like don't want a fly to get in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> right in your mouth. Ew. Um, it's a weird fear. I get it, but. So um, back to Alice. Um, Alice. Sweet angel, Alice. Uh, she is a little a little girl who needs saving, which is unfortunate, you know. That, but she does eventually take agency for herself herself and stabs mommy. And she has, I mean, the way she's characterized, yes, she's a child, like a sweet, innocent girl. They put her in a white dress. She apparently can't defend herself. But I feel like that also serves to bolster just how insane Mobby and Daddy are. And why would why would Alice have any coping skills? I mean, yeah, she's been she was snatched as a baby. And then she hold on one second. Pause. That, that creaky door. Caesar's was miming funny. things. What do you need, me? Caesar? Shoes. Shoes. You need shoes. Hands. Which ones? These? Sure. <laughs> oh. God. <laughs> okay, Adam, that was the end. We have to clap again. Wait, what were we talking about? Uh so Alice has, you know, no ability to cope. She has no coping skills. She's never been outside. She's never seen a black person. So Oh yeah. That, that was, was he was like, What have you never seen a brother before? And she's like, I've never had a brother. And then he's like, No, a black man. And then that was and then they just instantly became friends. And, and that was it. was it. just over. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, when they're hugging each other and, like, so, so glad sweet. to see. It's so sweet. Like, I just, I love them. So, together. yeah. And Alice he's... could have escaped when uh, Fool jumped into the pond, but she was too afraid. So, presumably, uh, she developed some kind of agency after seeing that Fool got out. And then when he comes back for her... My perception was like, okay, she's now like invigorated. She sees that she has value to someone outside of this house and that fool went out and came back for her and that she can have that kind of like, you know, free will flexibility as well. So 
after she is in the ceiling and gets released from the bolt, we really see her, like, kind of come alive as a character. And so when she is tied to the chimney, like, after Fool You mean when he does, like, one tap on a brick and suddenly she's released? She's free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Daddy comes in in the gimp costume. And and grabs his package. And grabs his crotch. I I was was like, like, is this part of this? So she's also been, I'm going to say she's been raped her whole life. Yes. So poor Alice. And then I think also, I would like to think that when she didn't leave with Fool initially, and when she does come back, she's also thinking she didn't know that Roach had died. Right. And she knows that there's people under the stairs who also need help. Need to get out, right. Yeah. So then when he comes back, she's like, this is our chance where um, everybody's free, you know? So back to Daddy's package. <laughs> um, I feel like I was really confused, but I think intentionally so by the ambiguity of mommy and daddy's sexual relationship. Like I know they get really horned up on violence and Bible verses, but like mm-hmm. I guess like does it matter if they're fucking or not, or is it like no, enough that they're just talk about like it. really horny and scary, scary yeah. horny. TM. Well, she says, help me to bed, and then lays in bed. He doesn't... I don't know. It's weird. But she had had her knee hit with the poker. That was... I that was, yeah. That, and then that. she's, like, nursing her knee. I don't know. It's incest, probably. Right? Yeah. In my notes to about what we need to talk about, I wrote, incest, I guess, question mark. <laughs> I don't know if it matters. I don't know how much well, we need to talk about it. But right. reverse, when you Grandpa... don't think Jamie and Cersei fucking is even a little bit, like, horny and nice? Like, I, yeah. I mean, I would say that, like, Danny and John would be the incest couple. That's the sexier of incest couple, The sexier I guess, yeah. of the two. Yeah. I don't... I mean, Nicholas Coster-Walder is a great actor. I don't know how attracted I am to him. I or he's kind of hot. Or to Lena Headey. They're great actors. I'm not, like, super jazzed up about watching them him rape her in front of her dead son. That part was less nice. I was thinking <laughs> maybe earlier seasons. Yeah, the okay. Scratch this. Sorry for everything problematic I said. And let's just remember <laughs> that the hottest person in Game of Thrones is Tormund, obviously. Oh, my God. Is it? Tor- and I'd if you like a tree. knew what my partner looked like, you would be like, Okay. <laughs> I uh I don't know. They're all great, I guess. Yeah, honestly, I've got my little would, crushes on them all. I would fuck you know? anyone in Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, John obviously. No, Dario Naharis, the second one. They That's it. Yeah, for sure. He's the one. I, I would think fuck he'd be the my hound. Uh, like would who cares? Oh yeah, the hound? He'd be totally. like he'd probably cry. He'd probably be Scar like, and all. I'm so he damaged. Needs, he's touch deprived. I wouldn't How fuck did we Hodor get because he doesn't have the mental faculty to consent. No, that so. would be, that wouldn't, <laughs> that would there's be right. no consent allowed. Yeah, there. But that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> incest aside. Incest that we all, as a country, consume together. As a globe, probably consume together. I feel like the reason people kind of get like off on it a little bit is just because like everybody out there is a little bit nasty you're all a little bit nasty even if you don't want to admit it yeah lean into it who cares (laughs) 
So obviously oh, we have no. some through lines of terrifying fundamentalist Christianity. Uh, I Ooh. did discover through a cursory Google search and thanks to Wikipedia that the now I lay thee down to sleep prayer is one of Craven's favorites. It's he in Nightmare it on Elm Street and Last House on the Left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that I don't know this for sure, but Wes Craven, did you escape a scary religious upbringing? What was your childhood like? He'll yeah. never be able to tell us because he's dead. Rest in peace, Wes Craven. Created some great content for us. True that. On yeah. the way out. Um, and we don't often praise white men on this on this cast. Well, I also learned that he has he had a female production partner for like years and years. That makes uh, so much sense. I think her name is Marianne Madalena. So I feel like you can totally tell there's like a female perspective approaching a lot of the characterizations mm-hmm. and um, yeah, a lot of the films. Yeah. I mean, I love all of his work, truly. Wes Craven's New Nightmare is so good and so a fun romp. It's a romp. I have to also say that after watching this movie, anybody that I don't like or who pisses me off, I'm just going to yell, may they burn in hell at. May they burn in hell. <laughs> may they burn, in, burn hell. in hell. It was, um, I, so some of the lines in this movie I wrote down because they're just so Oh, funny. take me through the ones that stood out for you. I'm curious uh, to hear them. So when Fool first encounters Prince, our poor Rottweiler, he Justice says. Justice for Prince. Justice for Prince. Um, also, he, LOL, that um, the dog is named after one of the greatest like black queer icons in history. Just saying. True. Who went artist formerly known as and also just known as. Um, he yells, your mama sleeps with cats. And then the dog rushes. <laughs> so good. Oh, my God. And then... Uh, Leroy is crass, but like I'll allow it because it's Bing Rames. Oh, says, I was gonna say Leroy um, kind of like touches on what we talked about with Candyman, just like the hypersexualization of the black man because he just continually says things that I'm like, I don't believe a person would really say that. Like, yeah, yeah, like maybe this, maybe the president will make me the secretary of pussy, which like... Secretary of pussy was one of my lines. The other one is, too, you're too, too old, old to tit. get tit and too young to get ass. I was like, okay, Everyone Leroy. out there, okay, breasts are only sexualized because the patriarchy made them that way. It's really weird to say that. Breastfeeding isn't sexy. It's just a thing that people do <laughs> because their baby needs to eat. And right. then when he says he busted the house's cherry... Yes. She uh, opened oh right God. up for me. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then Fool says some great lines about money hoarding and capitalism. Like, when he walks into the living room, he says, there's enough room for ten families in here. And he says, um, no wonder there's no money in the ghetto. That's the first yeah, thing that he is says when he sees piles exactly. of money. Exactly. Like, that says it all. Yeah. Yeah. Snaps for Fool. Uh, <laughs> he's the greatest uh, and then mommy and daddy have some disgusting lines they do drop the n-word once definitely One and, and almost yeah almost say but it a it second time but it was so like filled with ire that like it it was impactful and it didn't need to be said more than that one time yeah, I was like w- I get it okay you're terrifying <sighs> I mean so they say so mommy and daddy say to the two white cops it's as if 
we're the prisoners and the criminals roam free. And then the cop says, I know what you mean. Cops are terrible. A cab. Disgusting. Yeah. Um, and then she's talking about, it's again, another thing that we talked about with Candyman of like the idea of a black boy being inside the house with her young white daughter. She says, he's in there with our little angel. Like, what's he going to do to her in there, you know? Oh, and then later, Daddy accuses Alice of having sex with Fool, which yeah. is asinine. They're children. And They're children. And calls her a whore. But I'm like, you're having sex with Alice. Like, you're raping her. You're a bad you're man. You're raping her. Yeah, yeah you're the bad scary. And the cannibalism is so casual. Like, there's a lot of things that happen. Another hat like, on a hat, if you will. Whoop. Yeah. Why are they eating people? You don't need to eat people. And the, okay, so the people under the stairs. Wes Craven eat loves people. the cannibal, though. <laughs> it's true. Um, they have to eat people because that's the only thing that daddy gives to them to eat, mm-hmm. right? So. It's not their fault they're cannibals. But no. then how do you just rush not back into society yeah. without a tongue having consumed human flesh your entire life? It's a feel for them. It's a question for the ages, truly. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I was like, normally I would be rooting for like uh, social services or a you know, social worker to come help these people, but I'm just high on my own supply of anti-capitalism that I'm like, <laughs> yeah, go! <You> know? <laughs> Run out into but I'm the like, streets. They may not be okay, you guys. <laughs> I don't think they need therapy, most definitely. Um, there's also, like, I love that mommy is the big bad. Like, daddy is definitely her little crone. Mommy who, like, has a little uh, of Carrie's mom in her, don't you think? When yeah. she throws her in the, like, scalding hot bathtub and tells her to, like, scrub the dirty man's blood off of her. I was like, Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> is that you <laughs> oh man and Alice makes so Alice makes these little dolls of all the people who have lost their lives in the house um, sort of voodoo doll talismans and there's like an interesting history of that I know very little about like a cursory Google told me um, but like that That's, come from... That should be the subtitle of our podcast. I did a cursory Curs- Google search. <laughs> cursory Google. Um, but it's, like, a very American concept. Like, it, it's from the Louis, like the deep southern Louisiana roots. Like, that's where this, this idea of voodoo dolls came from, is that all of these, uh, this, these enslaved people, a majority of them came from one region of West Africa, and they were fawn people. And so... Because it was French colonized, they weren't separated as frequently as the British colon the British colonies, and so mm-hmm. they were able to flourish more, and they were able to practice their spiritual uh, freedoms and like of this like ancestral. They used a lot of herbs, and so like that's where this like concept of voodoo dolls came from, which is interesting that it's a white little white girl doing it, but. And then you see She's... the through line with Ruby practicing tarot and then yeah. uh, Leroy wearing Which is also traditional French. African clothing. And I don't know yeah. what region it's from, so I won't even try to purport a guess because that would be offensive. 
Right. I meant to Google it. I wrote. We're sorry Google. we didn't do our cursory Google search. It's all Google you asked. Google Leroy's of us. hat is literally <laughs> what I wrote down. <laughs> I, I yeah, like I don't know, I don't know the claws. What did we? I'm I'm the bad kind of white lady right now. White I'm brown lady. the worst kind of white lady because I'm more white than you. And I also <laughs> let's Google compare Leroy's whiteness. Hat. <laughs> so Leroy is oh, interesting no. because he is kind of uh, coded as bad. He, you know, is crass. He's pretty, you know, out for himself. He doesn't share hiding space with fool. Uh, and then oh, yeah. he um, just kind of like pushes fool around and says, like, you're lucky I'm teaching this trade because everything else in life will fuck you over. And I think the way that he was written, the coding was a little confusing because it was sort of like he they low key villainized Leroy. And then Leroy, of course, dies early in the movie. But at the same time, Leroy is completely a product of the capitalist um system that we're sort of rallying against when we see the end of this movie come through. So I thought it was kind of an interesting setup. Uh, definitely love that Spencer, the white guy, dies first. That is I love that Spencer delightful. Yeah. And that he's worse than Leroy. He's, like, way more annoying. I do... There's, like, um... Black children are innocent, but like as soon as they cross that teenager line, it's, they become they hypersexual. We know Ruby mm-hmm. turns tricks, which is right. something that's glossed over pretty quickly. But of course, that's something still to this day that's criminalized and coded as bad. Decriminalize sex work. It doesn't just mean legalizing it. It means decriminalizing it. And so and sex work. Don't say the P word. We don't need to use we that We don't even word. need to say what it is. You know what it is. Don't say it. You know what it is. So, like, Leroy and Ruby both fulfill sort of stereotypes of adults that are black and in underserved populations, but Fool gets to become the hero because he hasn't sort of been corrupted by sex and violence and drugs and the community yet. Right. Yeah, so I don't appreciate that the black man is supposed to be coded as, like, crass and bad, and he robs liquor stores so he's bad but the people that he's robbing deserve to be robbed so like also lol that daddy is just stashing his document about a very important sale of gold coins in the back of a liquor store randomly i was like how convenient right (laughs) that this is the liquor store that they hit (laughs) yeah yeah wouldn't he keep it in his his fortress of doom over there yeah he has a terrifying vault filled with just dollars and, but yeah, and I money. think Leroy could have served the plot really well if he had not been killed off early in the film. I think he would have been a great character to see through to the end and to see, you know, his reaction to the end of the film and when we're kind of really able to decolonize that house and take it back for the community. Because he has a pessimistic view of, like, getting out of and why shouldn't bad situation and yeah it's like he's grown up in this and he is trying to survive the only way that he saw how and that he feels comfortable with and then he gets killed for it it's like it's not his fault that he had to he was forced into this lifestyle but totally i like i think wes craven did a good job i think that For a white guy in 1991, I see a lot to like here. And there's a lot of anti-racist through lines. I love saying through lines. It makes me feel like an NPR queen. Okay? Through lines. I haven't said it. So take a shot every time. You might like it. Yeah. Through lines. 
But yeah, there's uh, anti-police sentiment, which fuck yeah. There's mutual aid. The community protects itself. Like, for instance, Grandfather Booker, I didn't get the sense that he was specifically Fool and Ruby's grandfather. I just thought he was, like, a beloved community figure. Right. There's That also is a trope, though, of, like, an elderly, wise, helpful black man. Morgan Freeman, most often, you know? But it's he's not helping white people, so it's... He's helping There's his community, different. yeah. He's I, helping the community. It's not like he's like, let me give you white people the tools to succeed and not bring any <laughs> of your success back to my community or my like individual experience. Mm-hmm. You remember in Shawshank Redemption when Andy Dufresne gets himself free and is like, fuck Red. I'll no, see you if you get yourself out. That's really mean. I've never seen Shawshank Redemption. It just seems too long to watch. What? Okay, Close we'll your come mouth. Back to that later. Close your mouth. Or you're <laughs> gonna know. catch a fly in it. I might just. My um, grandma used to say that. <laughs> There's. I just. It was a good movie. It was fun. Even like beyond the, the deep dives. It was just like a fun, funny, scary time. So. I think that Adam has referenced Shawshank a couple of times in our relationship, and I've been like, what? <laughs> I've seen it. I don't know, dozens of times. I could give you some direct quotes if you want, but whatever. Let's save we'll that, that for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything uh, else you want to talk about before we close the bag up? We close it up. I mean, Brandon Quinton Adams, who plays Poindexter slash Fool, is also in Mighty Ducks, which is <laughs> oh my gosh, part I of my that. formative uh, upbringing. Emilio <laughs> Estevez <laughs> in Mighty Ducks is something to behold. The better ver- of Martin Sheen's sons. I think we can say I mean, that that's confidently. True. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I saw The Breakfast Club before I saw Mighty Ducks, I think. So I was like, already. You're off. Introduced. Amelia I was like, us. where's John Bender? I need him here. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. Um, mm-hmm. Can I ask you something just as a fun, you know, way to tie this up? Sure. I was thinking the other day about the first horror movie I ever saw in theaters, and I want to know what yours is before I tell you mine. Oh my god, I have no idea. I have such a terrible long-term memory that I, I don't know that I know. And I've been watching scary movies for so long. We... I don't know. I really don't know. Wow. I can tell you the first scary movie I ever watched, but I, I don't know. Okay, tell me that instead. The Shining. Oh, that's right. You Doesn't that, that tell before. you a lot about me? Yeah. <laughs> You're so brooding. I am brooding. I saw okay. that my first one that I saw in theaters was The Ring because I grew up with really religious parents. Oh. And my friend Chelsea, my friend at the time Chelsea, convinced me to go see it because she said that wasn't it wasn't that scary. And then once she convinced me to do it and we got in the car, she's like, I lied. It's the scariest movie I've ever seen. The Ring? Yeah, it wasn't that scary. But it was scary it when we were scary. like 12. It was scary. Yeah, that's true. Let's see. When did Scream come out? It might have been... Uh, not The Scream. What? Yeah, Edward is that March? even a thing? <laughs> <laughs> the, the The painting. Came oh, out. Oh, I thought you were talking about a movie called The Scream. And I was like, I don't... I don't think so, lady. Maybe Scream 2? How old was I then? 1997. I'd say maybe that one. All right, let's we did go with l- it. 
we all loved Scream, so. That's funny. As a family. Skeet Ulrich, who is the quintessential rapey creep of the 90s, to be honest with you. Oh, oh my God. Okay, so I watched Riverdale. Hot take. He's hot on Riverdale. So hot. Has only gotten better with age. I mean, hot. We could talk about Matthew Lillard again. Once we do Scream, do we which have we'll do, to. It's <laughs> one of my favorite movies ever. I'll just go on a on a tangent about how much I love Matthew Lillard again. I feel so creepy watching Riverdale because I'm I'm in my thirties, you guys. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like so revved up for these kids to fuck each other. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I did it because of page seven. A podcast told me to do something, so I did it. And That's that's how we all got here. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So I watched it. And yeah. Like, if Jackie Zabrowski can be officially attracted to teenagers, then I'll do it too. I'm cool. Whatever. <laughs> she's she's up there for, for jugs. For the I jughead. really commend Jackie on her general horniness. Like, I just don't have the energy for that kind of drive. So good for you. We're, we're in... Um, we're in weird territory where no one knows what we're talking about. I bet there are like two people out there who are <laughs> having a huge <laughs> chuckle right now. All right. So, All right. dudes, we have set up a Patreon. We're trying to make this official official. So please go to patreon.com slash spooky succubus cast if you want to check out our tiers. Rebecca and I are both artists. So we're going to make you some super special drawings if you guys are into that. And we're thinking about booting up a horror book club as well since, you know, I got nothing but time here in the queue. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Abby did just a beautiful job setting it up. Go follow us on Instagram, the spooky succubus underscore cast. Is that it? I don't even no, know. No, I think no own. underscore spooky succubus cast. No, it's spooky succubus underscore cast. For the Patreon, too? No, that's for Instagram. Oh, shit, you guys. I, we just fucking ruined the plugs. I'm sorry, everyone. Okay, patreon.com slash spooky succubus cast. On Instagram, we're at spooky succubus underscore cast. That links to our personal pages. Mine is boring, and it's just a lot of me yelling about capitalism. If you don't mm-hmm. want to see that, don't follow me. And I mean, then what else do we have? If you don't want to see that, where are you? Yeah, whatever. What, what else do we have? That's kind of it. That's kind of it, Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, though. We'll be doing, uh, oh, our next episode will be Friday the 13th for Friday, November 13th. Oh, and full disclosure, we have recorded this before the presidential election. So we're looking forward to seeing you in the future when hopefully the world is not on fire quite as much anymore. We talked about the orange man. Uh, not being the only problem, but he is one that we should. He's a problem. I don't want to tell you to vote for Biden. I don't want to vote for Biden, but that is what I have to do. That's what I have to do. Yeah. It's sad. I and- mean, the two-party system, the Electoral College, what a shit show. Um, abolish yeah. the Electoral College, number yeah, one. Yeah, fuck That's- yeah. Trump didn't win the first election, so... But that's not a nice note to end on. Let's end on something else. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, Fool is the best. We love Fool. We um, love Fool. I love Ruby. Ruby, we didn't talk a lot about, enough about Ruby, probably. Yeah, Ruby is pretty fucking cool. In the credits, the main, because there was one person under the stairs who was, like, really doing most of the acting I think and that moaning. he's the stairmaster, is what they call he's him. He's called the stairmaster <laughs> in... in 
in the credits, that's his name. Um, so that's a fun. That's that a is fun. fun. All right. Shout out to the Stairmaster. I hope he's having a great day. Hopefully not eating a person. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye.